Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. From the broadcast to the podcast, it is your man DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. Pop up at our blog spot, hand on my Uwego. We invading airwaves. Yes, yes, y'all. Tell a friend to tell a friend that the pod is now up. You are listening to Cool Radio. It is your man, DM Cool, and we have a lot to get to on today's agenda. And this is probably going to be the most diverse episode that I've had in quite a while. Diverse in terms of the amount of content that I'm going to be discussing from a wide array of avenues. So we're going to be talking about content from the realms of Hollywood, from the realms of music, social matters. Um, athletics, you name it. We've got it all covered. It's going to be a well-rounded episode. So just to give you an idea of what we're going to be talking about on today's agenda, it goes as follows, and in no particular order, if I may say so. Uh, We're going to be discussing the release of Bill Cosby. We're going to be talking about black TikTokers banding together to not do a rendition of Meg Thee Stallion's Thought Bitch, as well as any other black song going on right now we're going to be talking about that as well as the production of black panther 2 finally starting also you know i have a little little thing to discuss around canada day i know by the time you hear this pod canada day canada day is long and since past but nonetheless i had to get this out there for y'all but before we get to all of that you already know how i do at the beginning of the show I got some uh, grievances to air out, if you will. So on that note, it is time to let that ish breathe. Let this bitch breathe. So on today's agenda to get things started, up and coming track phenom Shikari Richardson was recently suspended this week for doping. Quote unquote doping. All right. So the International Olympic Committee has rules against doping. And a lot of these rules are very outdated because the drug that she was using for doping was marijuana. That's right. You heard what I said. Marijuana, cannabis, Mary Jane, the sticky icky, the devil's lettuce, whatever you want to call it, the green stuff, whatever. Yes. Marijuana. She was suspended for a month for using marijuana. Now, here's the thing. Here's why I say that the IOC is very outdated when it comes to their policies, when it comes to doping. Doping should only be a thing. Like, it should only be a thing that's that's punishable by by suspension or whatever the case may be. If it's a performance enhancement drug or PED for short. And last time I checked... Marijuana is anything but a performance enhancement drug. Hell, at this point in time, I don't even I wouldn't even consider it a party drug. Unless if you're gonna put it in, you know, little gummy or chocolate format, possibly, you know, weed brownies, if you will. 
But a PED? No, sir. No, ma'am. Sorry. No, not not cutting it, not buying it at all whatsoever. Return to sender. When it comes to marijuana or THC, the chemical that's within marijuana, it's used for a number of things. But as a performance enhancer, if anything, it's the antithesis of that. THC is commonly used for muscle relaxation. You know, if you have stressed muscles or certain certain body parts on you that need some relaxation for example if you have if you had if you have a a case a bad case of glaucoma for example or you have terrible migraine migraines thc can be prescribed for you in order to alleviate that stress and you can take it within a multi, within a, a multitude of forms whether it's with CD, cbd oil whether it's with you know actual uh pre-rolled marijuana for you to smoke etc etc it's used for that it's Basically, you can almost view it the same way as you would as, as a drink, as an alcoholic beverage, if you will. But as far as performance enhancement drug, marijuana does not speed up your, your, your bodily movements. It does not enhance your physical strength tenfold. No, anabolic steroids do. Those should be the only drugs that should be that should be considered when we're talking about P- PEDs. Like if you look at the USADA or USADA for short. They have a strict list of drugs or ingredients within drugs that can be considered PEDs, which is one of the main reasons why John Bones Jones of the UFC keeps on getting suspended. Because for whatever reason, there are certain chemicals that his team is allowing him to ingest that have properties of PEDs. I mean, hell, he was still able to fight you know, when it was discovered the night before one of his major fights that he had cocaine in his body cocaine so he was allowed to compete with cocaine in his body but shikari richardson can't compete because she has thc in her body and so she went on was a good morning america she went on one of the mainstream news outlets to discuss why um she had thc in her body and because she was dealing with the death of her mother so she was using marijuana as a coping mechanism to to kind of help go through with the pain and the loss and what have you. And a lot of people have been there. Let's not act like nobody's been there. I mean, it's root of alcoholism for, for goodness sakes, but it's not like she was abusing her use of marijuana. And so that leads me to believe that there's a lot of discourse and there's a lot of, a lot of uh, not only discourse, but just a lot of stigmatism when it comes to, marijuana as a drug because we're still not at the point where marijuana is widely accepted around the world it's seen as an evil drug meanwhile we're still selling cigarettes in convenience stores and and cigarettes whatever package or whatever brand you buy they will tell you directly on the package that it can cause all sorts of cancer it can blacken your lungs it can darken your teeth it can make you lose weight at an unhealthy rate and yet they are still legal to buy as long as you are of age we are at the point where you know people are still drinking alcohol at you know at copious amounts and you know even though they tell you in the commercials to drink responsibly or whatever you still have people you know going to Louvre drinking like it's nobody's business and it's still for the most part celebrated but when it comes to marijuana cannabis or anything with THC in it we demonize it 
in the context of sports and in the context of the IOC, the Olympic, sorry, the International Olympic Committee, there is no reason as to why marijuana should be considered a performance enhancement drug. If this was a case where she was taking a drug that would actually enhance her performance um, on the track, then of course this would be an open and shut case. Like, but we're not dealing with Ben Johnson here. This is not a Ben Johnson situation. Cannabis should not be policed. I mean, wasn't there a running joke during the 2008 games in Beijing that Michael Phelps was smoking a ton of pot before he would perform? Now, I don't know if that's actually true or if that was actually confirmed, but I heard that this guy was a major weed head. But regardless, why are we revisiting this as, as, a, as a demonization of this athlete? In the Olympic Village, athletes are not, I repeat, are not prohibited to drink alcohol. In fact, they serve alcohol in the Olympic Village. Alcohol kind of gives you the same or similar characteristic traits um, of, of marijuana once you ingest it. And yet, that's not considered a PED. But marijuana is? Listen, I've been very critical of the IOC for, for many years now, and there's, especially when it comes to many cases of corruption, uh, very similar to how FIFA has had many cases of corruption over the years as well, and I'm not going to say that this is corruption, because I don't know enough of the story for me to point out that there is corruption here, but there's definitely a bias against marijuana, and this isn't just with the IOC, but this is just a general bias that a lot of people have in the world, especially a lot of people who are very conservative. And this is a, I don't know if this is a specific bias against this specific athlete, because truth be told, I have not heard her name until now, unfortunately, and that's an indictment on her, or not, not an indictment on her, but I'm just saying that's an indictment in general because of the fact that we should be talking about this athlete more for her athletic gifts and attributes as opposed to her getting in trouble for an outdated rule that should have been corrected years ago. But regardless of the situation, it just shows how antiquated the rules are when it comes to the IOC, especially when you consider some of the shit that they've allowed over the years that could raise an eyebrow at the very least. But we're out here discussing the fact that a young athlete was deciding to smoke marijuana, even though marijuana has nothing to do with an elevated, an elevated level of performance. If anything, marijuana is going to slow her down. You tell me one person who smoked a spliff, a blunt, a pipe, a bong, whatever the case may be, took a couple of hits and said, oh my God, I'm so energized right now. I can run a 100 meter race. Said nobody ever. So this is yet again, another one of those situations where the IOC needs to fix up. They need to correct their, their rulings on what's considered a POD. Uh, sorry, a PED and what isn't. And they need to let this woman compete. Now, the thing is, her suspension is about 30 days. So the Olympics. And please correct me if I'm wrong, but they do not start until August 7th of this year. And her suspension was given earlier this week. I think it was given out July 1st. So she still technically has time to compete in the Olympics. However, her performance may be hampered because I don't know if she's not allowed to 
practice. Like, I don't know what the, the details of, of her suspension layout as far as her not being able to use certain practice facilities or whatever the case may be, or if she's not allowed to fly in to Japan early um, for the for the Olympic Games. I'm not sure what the suspension entails. But it's very possible that she'll still have enough time to compete in these games. But if not, then that is a serious, serious, egregious indictment on her on 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 her performance. She should not be penalized for this. This is we're talking about the same committee that penalized a female boxer. I I wish I remembered her name, but they were talking about this on Sportsnet uh, not that long ago, and she was penalized. <laughs> For, for, for giving birth to a child. And mind you, she timed it perfectly so that by the time the child was birthed and uh, uh, by the time the child was birthed, she could get back into training shape and so that she could be eligible for uh, the Olympics this year in Tokyo. But they ruled against that. I think it was later I think it was later noted that they they fixed a rule around that saying that even after you give birth is obviously for female athletes that you can still be eligible to compete in the Olympics. So I'm I'm assuming that that female boxer that I'm referring to is going to be able to compete in this year's Olympics. But nonetheless, that shouldn't have been a rule in the first place. So, again, it goes back to how antiquated the rules are when it comes to the IOC. And, yeah, it's the same people pulling the strings, people like 56 year old. You know, white dudes who who are not with the times, who are not progressive enough to see through their own failures and through their own conjecture. So, I really hope the best for Shakari Richardson. Um, it's definitely it's definitely not fair that this could potentially hamper her dreams of winning a gold medal this, this summer, uh, especially when you take into account that we were supposed to have the Olympics last summer, but hello, hello, pandemic. And so what? She has to wait another four years if she if the suspension carries on into the Olympics. That's bullshit, in my opinion. That's bullshit. All for what? All for all for some Mary Jane? Please, please. We've seen people get away with more. Or actually, no. I should say we've seen people get away for less. My my apologies. Either way, this is egregious and. And I hope that she still gets to compete in this year's Olympics if the suspension doesn't overlap into the beginning of the games. But regardless, she never should have been suspended for this in the first place. And so that's a failure on the IOC, in my personal opinion. But what do you guys think? Let me know. Uh, hit me up on social media at Cool Radio CC. Um, and yeah, let me know what you guys think of this, because to me, this is all bullshit, in my personal opinion. Okay, so let's get into the mic check segment of the week which is Canada Day. Now, Canada has been in the news more often than, than usual, but for the wrong reasons, unfortunately. So for the, for the past month now, there's been news uh, spreading about a residential school within Canada that has housed the bodies or hidden the bodies of 215 indigenous people who were children and it was just discovered after however many decades. And so a lot of politicians, a lot of Canadian politicians are speaking out against it. And they're saying how this country needs to do better going forward. But my issue and a lot of people's issue, and rightfully so, is if this is how you truly feel, 
then why are we just discovering this mass genocide or the, ma- or the, the aftermath of this mass genocide right now? Why is this just why is this just being unearthed? And why are we only speaking out about indigenous indigenous issues when an issue like this happens? It's very similar to when a black person gets killed, an unarmed black person gets killed by a police officer, and then we want to talk about black rights. No, this should this should be a topic all the time. Any any issue that plagues a marginalized group of people should always be first and foremost. And even when it's not the leading story of the week, it should be talked about by people who are put in power to make sure that our rights and freedoms are not being compromised. And so that it also made me think to myself, well, how many other cases of hidden genocide have taken place within Canada? And this is the thing about Canada that really annoys me the most. And full disclosure, in case if most of y'all don't know, I am Canadian. I was born and raised here. That is my nationality. I am of Ghanaian and Nigerian descent. Uh, but in terms of my nationality, I am Canadian. And Canada is all I know. I've born and raised here, lived in Ontario my entire life. Um, and living in this country, I've learned a lot of the positive aspects about this country. But I've learned a lot about the negative aspects about this country. And a lot of the biases in this country are are more than apparently abundant, to say the least. You know, we're talking about this uh, residential school where it basically hid 215 bodies of indigenous children. And no one says a word about it until it makes mainstream news. Yet the Canada yet Canada as a country has to stop everything that's doing because a bus of and I'll be completely honest at this point but a bus of white children who are on their way to a hockey tournament uh, unfortunately you know get caught in a in a tragic accident and the entire country has to stop and 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 mourn and take a moment of silence to reflect on these children and the tragedy all because of hockey all because of hockey, because this country's identity has been told through the lens of hockey and whatever else makes us, quote unquote, Canadian. Whether it's hockey, the Mounties, Beavers, maple syrup. That is Canada right there, especially when it comes to hockey, the way America loves off its college sports, especially its college football. Canada loves its hockey. And we, and we have to stand and acknowledge whenever a tragedy is is painted around hockey. But no one bats an eye when indigenous people are, are being slaughtered or, or, or their bodies are being hidden. And then it becomes a talking point because it's trendy. I'm going to tell you guys a story. All right? I'm going to tell you guys a story. And this story involves the first time where I was conscious of the fact that Canada doesn't care about its indigenous people. And I've always told people, you know, especially, you know, as I, you know, grow, grow older and what have you and become more cognizant of my, my surroundings is that the greatest lie that Canada has ever told was convincing not only its own citizens, but people outside of Canada 
that racism does not exist here. That is the biggest lie and the most successful lie that Canadians have told themselves and others over the years. And they often use America as a prop to say, hey, look at us. At least we're not like them. We're not America. As a way to disguise their own bullshit. That's like me saying, well, look, guys, look, look at him. He, he shot somebody to death. At least at least at least this guy used a knife. Yeah, but he still killed a person regardless of what weapon he used. It's still bad either way. So let me get into the story that I have for you guys. All right. So this happened when I was, I want to say 21. Yeah, 21 years old. I was in my final year of college. And I remember at that time, this is 2010. Um, and the Winter Olympics were happening. The one in Vancouver, actually. Vancouver Games were happening. And I was working at a sports retail store. I'm not going to say which one because, you know, I don't want some of you to be like, oh, my God, what's happening over here? Uh, I mean, it really doesn't matter any, anyway because there's only like three or four like major sports stores in Canada. So I'll let you guys take your pick. And I was working, I was working the, the afternoon evening shift. And we were getting a whole bunch of Team Canada hockey gear. And so jerseys and, and uh, merchandise, et cetera, et cetera. So the jerseys came in. And you guys know me. I'm not a big hockey fan. I'm not going to rain on anyone's parade with that said, however. But I'm not enthusiastic about hockey. So take that for what you will. So I'm talking to one of my coworkers. And he's like, he's like it's a white guy. Surprise, surprise. And he's like, dude, dude, look at this. Look at this. This is so, this is so trash. This is trash. So I'm like, what's trash? It's like the jersey. Look at it. Look at it. It's just trash. And I'm assuming that he's just talking about the overall look and the quality of the jersey because, you know, some jersey designs in general may not be for everyone. Right. It is what it is. So I'm like, okay, so you're not into the design. No, man. Just look at it. Look at it, man. This is not Canada. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's not Canada. I mean, look at all these things are in the Maple Leaf, man. This is such bullshit. So I want to stop right there for a second. So I can provide some context for you. So the Team Canada jersey for that year's Olympics, it featured the, the Maple Leaf as it normally does. But within the Maple Leaf, it featured a lot of intricate designs and, and, and different symbols that represent all the indigenous cultures that were that inhabited Canada before anyone else. So there were a lot of... There are a lot of totem poles. There are a lot of animals that are very symbolic to indigenous cultures and what have you. And so for me, when I looked at it, I thought I thought it was pretty cool, actually. I was like, OK, this is not bad. This, this is actually pretty decent. Like, I, I respect it. Again, not a hockey fan, but I can respect, you know, good artwork when I see it. So anyways, those were all the designs in there. And again, this is a white guy talking about I don't like this jersey. This is in Canada. So when he said, oh, this isn't Canada, this is not Canada, I'm like, what do you mean it is Canada? He's like, look at this. I'm like, yeah, you have the maple leaf in there. You have the symbols in there. It's like, yeah, that's not Canadian, though. I'm like, yeah, it is. Like, those symbols are from indigenous cultures who were here before everyone else. Like, this is the most Canadian jersey that's ever been made, if you think about it. And then he paused for a second, kind of stuttered. He's like, well, well, whatever. I still don't like it. That's not the point anyway. So I couldn't remember what else he said after that exchange, 
But once he said that out, that's what really opened my eyes to the Canadian hatred towards indigenous peoples. I didn't really see it a whole lot. I mean, I did see it, but it, I was not conscious of it. So, like, as a as a kid, you know, you watch those those spaghetti western films or shows, and it's like the cowboys versus the Indians, and it shows the Indians as the savages and what have you. That didn't that I was not conscious of that as a five or six year old kid, and then into my teenage years, I didn't really see a whole lot of that, you know, being perpetuated either. I was kind of in my own bubble when it came to like you know black programming and stuff like that. So I, I watched a lot of BET back when I was a teenager. So obviously I was really peeking into like out any cultures outside of mine around that time, especially. But then you know once you hit twenty, you kind of get an idea of other cultures outside of your own in terms of what they hold sacred and what have you. And so me knowing a little roughly a little bit here and there about um, some indigenous cultures in general, when he made that statement, I was like, wow, this is wow. Like at this point, I'm never surprised by racism, but that statement saying that that's not Canada. I'm like, wow, you got to have a lot of hatred in your heart to say some shit like that. And then I started noticing it more often. Um, just after that conversation, just more hatred, just not in the media or anything like that, but like up front, like in person from other people. I'm like, why the, why the hate towards indigenous people? Like what, what did they ever do to you? And so it really, it really raised an eyebrow for me. It really raised an eyebrow for me. So going forward, there are a lot of things that I decided to kind of read up on or do some quick research on and things like that of the sort. One of the things that I came across, you know, over the years was this thing called the Northern Lights Tours. And it's very disturbing. So this happens a lot, especially within like Northern Canada. So if we're talking about um, Northwest Territories and Yukon Territories and, and places of that nature, there are police officers or sometimes RCMP officers who abduct uh, homeless indigenous men, for example. They put them in the back of their cruiser and they drop them off in the most frozen tundra areas of their surrounding geography, basically. And then they just leave them there and then they drive off. Imagine that. They abduct them, they kidnap them, and drive them into the cold desert, basically, and leave them there to die of hypothermia. That is next-level hatred that you have to have in your heart to commit that type of level of murder to somebody, or just murder in general, period. But that that type of premeditated murder, that's damn near serial killer-like. Another thing that I happened to come across over the years was the fact that a lot of Native women were being kidnapped and and abducted and thrown into human trafficking to become prostitutes. Sometimes they would be even raped by RCMP officers and police officers alike. And yet those stories don't get told often enough or get reported on often enough. And we see no accountability that's being held by by RCMP officers, police officers, or or the Canada government for that matter. 
so much propaganda has been brought onto the indigenous communities of this country over the years. Whether they're they're just a bunch of drunk bastards who who don't want to work or are too lazy or they keep crying about their reserves and and how it's not enough, but it's their own land and there should be no crying or complaining about it. I mean, listen here, if we are going to talk about the reserves, reserves are nothing more than exiled wastelands. They are basically trailer parks with little to no funding or resources. There's no clean running water. There's barely any type of income or commerce being circulated within those communities. Therefore, there's a lack of jobs. Therefore, there's a, there's a lack of finances. And therefore, there's going to be a high rate of crime happening because crime is all about proximity. And crime happens when there is a lack of resources being distributed within a concentrated area. These these reserves are nothing more than the slums and the ghettos of every inner city of this world. There are villages in third world countries that have more than these reserves half the time. But then some people want to say, oh, they're complaining. They should be happy with what, what they've been given. Let somebody take one of your valued possessions away from you for a week, for a week. And let's see how you react, let alone actual necessities that you need to live off of for your own vitality. But, but some of you want to say that these people are complaining and whining and are ungrateful. How would you feel if you had your own nation and the history of said nation and the history and the culture of your people taken away from you? These residential schools are basically whitewash schools. They're whitewashing schools. Whatever religion that they practice or religious beliefs that they had is being quote unquote corrected by the teachings of Christianity. Instead of speaking in their native tongue, they are speaking English because that's the queen's the queen's language and the proper and professional language to speak in. The traditional garments that they wear are being replaced with 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 clothing, you know, fitting from the from the, from the British that's been transported into North America. These kids are being, they're not being voluntarily taken into these schools, actually. No, they are being abducted and stolen from and never to be heard from again. And if they go out of line, then that's when they get slaughtered and thrown underground and not to be discovered until 2021. But again, you have the audacity, the nerve the unmitigated gall and the gumption to claim that these people are complaining about nothing and that they're lazy and that they're always crying about something. Yeah, they're crying that they're having their whole entire history being wiped away from the history books. What we learned in, in, in grade seven, grade eight history and going into grade nine as well is basically a tempered, watered-down version of what really happened when this country was, quote-unquote, discovered. Often, when it comes to history, it is told by the victors. So whoever wins the big fight, they get to rewrite history as they see it from their perspective. But rarely do we ever hear from the ones who suffered defeat. Why? Because to put it bluntly, nobody wants to hear from the loser's perspective. What's the point? 
But through all that, a lot of truth is being buried and dug up. Nowhere in our history books did they say that Aboriginal people had their land taken away from the British and from the colonizers who came from Europe. They never said that. It was said that they shared the land with with the Europeans and the colonizers. That was not the case. The the Europeans tricked these people into thinking that they were friends, but really they usurped their land. They pillaged their villages, raped their women, put smallpox in their blankets and called it Thanksgiving. That is the history of Canada, ladies and gentlemen. That is the history that that people want us to forget and to ignore that ever happened. So while it is sickening that all this has transpired and that this doesn't get enough attention, a part of me is glad that now that it is getting attention, despite the fact that it's out of tragedy, that it's calling more people into action. It's calling for more people to be objective about the situation and to correct whatever misgivings have happened to Aboriginal communities of this nation. This past Canada Day, a lot of people put up these pictures of uh, just the color orange, for example, to as a way to stand in solidarity of Aboriginal people. And while I do find that appreciative, you always have to watch out for the people who are doing that as an act of performative allyship. Because that happened a lot last year, you know, when it came to uh, Black Lives Matter and just, you know, to standing to standing uh, with black people. In, in the wake of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, it happened a lot earlier this year when it came to uh, stop the Asian hate movement. And, you know, we saw some people who were just doing that as a form of performative allyship. So I was just say, watch out for the people who don't often talk about these things, but then they want to post it on their Instagram because they think they're being social activists and what have you. Just watch out for them is all I'm saying. Um, But nonetheless, going forward, not just on an everyday basis, but especially when it comes to Canada Day, we need to treat Canada Day like we do Remembrance Day. So the same way Canada or we like to honor the troops on Remembrance Day for for their contributions to World War One in particular, we need to pay honor and tribute to the indigenous communities of this nation simply for founding it just off of that alone off the strength of that alone for other things as well yes but as the basis of canada day we need to honor it for the basis of them discovering this country because if they didn't discover it then there would be no reason for any of us to be here so we should we should we should honor that we should respect the, the the customs and the traditions that they have we we don't have to practice them but we at least have to acknowledge them and respect them for what they are because at the end of the day this is their land and as a final note for for this particular topic if there is anyone and i mean anyone who is going to try and tell you that there's no racism in canada at all put their ass in check 
And if you are a Canadian and you're talking to somebody outside of Canada, whether they're from the States or they're from the UK or, or wherever, and they're asking you about the racism in Canada and if they're asking if there is any or if there isn't or what's it like in general, it is up to you as a Canadian to tell them the truth for better or for worse. Tell them the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help you, God. That is what you have to do. Otherwise, you are just as bad as the person who is out here screaming out that there is no racism at all. Or you're just as bad as the people who look down on the indigenous communities. No, it's up to you to tell the truth. I got friends in, in the States who always you know, ask me about Canada and they, and they have these fascinations about Canada about, oh man, unless you're so much better over there. And I'm just like, nah, nah, we go, we go through our racist shit as well. Our racism is, is somewhat different than yours from time to time, but it's still racism regardless. You know, they may not say F U N word in your face, but they'll say it behind your back. Either way, it's not good. So in closing, when it comes to Canada today, going forward, and just every day in Canada, just remember that this nation that you're in, it was not founded by the British. It was not founded by Christopher Columbus. No, it was founded and inhabited, inhabited, in, yeah, inhabited, sorry, <laughs> by, by indigenous cultures. Respect that and acknowledge that. Not just on Canada Day, but every day going forward, acknowledge that. But when it does come to Canada Day, Canada Day, sorry, <laughs> that should be highlighted. And the basis of them discovering this nation before anyone else should be honored above everything else going forward. But hey, do you guys agree? Do you disagree? You guys already, you guys already know. Let me know. Hit me up. Let's talk about it. All right. So let's get into trip talk now. Three of the hottest topics that took place within pop culture. And with that said, let's get to it. First topic, right off the cuff. Bill Cosby is released from prison. Wow. Wow. Now, wow is something that I would genuinely be saying. If it were for the fact that I'm not surprised. So we have to keep in mind that, and in no way am I trying to justify his release at all. Let me just start off with that. But we have to keep in mind that Cosby went to jail for a civil lawsuit. It wasn't brought before a grand jury or anything like that. And a lot of the cases that majority of the women were bringing forth were well outside the statutes of limitations. So there's no way that he could get prosecuted for a long period of time. And there's no way that any of the victims would, would get any type of tangible settlement out of it. And another reason as to why I believe that he was released from prison early is because of the fact that during his deposition, he actually openly admitted that he was drugging these women and raping them while they were in a near comatose state. And it was believed that he revealed that information during a deposition because it was said, allegedly said during that deposition that this information would not be used to send them to jail. And that's the only reason why he admitted to it. But I believe there was a new DA that took over the case after the fact 
that kind of basically dismissed his, uh, I guess, bargain that he tried to make with the previous DA. But nonetheless, here we are, and he's released from prison. So I have a few things to say about this. And it's, first off, the justice system is flawed as fuck. I mean, it's a no-brainer. That's no surprise to anyone. It's flawed as fuck. Secondly, it is very serving to the justice system. Sorry, the justice system is very serving when it comes to celebrities. If you have some sort of celebrity clout or anything of the sort, then there's a good chance that you're either getting off scot-free or you're coming away with minimal punishments. Look at O.J. Simpson. The man killed his wife. Killed her. But because evidence was tampered with, he gets off free. Not guilty. Now, how long did it take for, for anyone to build a case against Harvey Weinstein? This man has lawyers up the wazoo. R. Kelly should have been in jail years ago. Years. And then now we have Bill Cosby. So here's my thing with Bill Cosby. A lot of members of the black community especially adore and idolize Bill Cosby because of the character that he portrayed as Cliff Huxtable in The Cosby Show. A doctor, or no, sorry, was he a... Either he was the doctor or his wife was the school professor. One of the, it was, I think it was the other way around, but regardless. Either way, he is probably the first black celebrity that I can think of who had a sitcom about a nuclear black family, which was never seen before. A nuclear black family that lived in an upper class middle, sorry, upper middle class neighborhood in, I think it was New York. We had never seen that before on television. This is what the mid 80s at this point. Before that, it was Sanford and Son. It was um, the Jeffersons. It was good times. And they were all living in the projects. Talking about food stamps and rent and and everything that every type of stereotype that plagues the black community. But then here you are. You have somebody who broke that mold. So I get why a lot of people show their respect for him and the adulation for him. But you have to take away, you have to separate the artist, sorry, you have to separate the character from the actor, all right? Cliff Huxtable is an idea. He is an idea of what the black nuclear family is all about or what that dream could be. He is an idea. He is something to aspire to in that regard. But Bill Cosby... Take away the celebrity power away from him. Take away the celebrity of Bill Cosby. And you have somebody who violated multiple women multiple times. But too many black people within the community are too afraid to admit that because that was their childhood idol growing up. Well, guess what? Sometimes your idols end up being assholes. And this is no different with Cosby. And this is coming from a person who was heavily critical about the black community. Pull up your pants, da 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 all that shit. Meanwhile, he's out here drugging girls' drinks without them even knowing it. On some Rick Ross shit. That's what Bill Cosby's been doing for years, decades. During the 70s and the 80s especially. 
And then you have some Bill Cosby apologist saying, oh, well, quaaludes were a party drug back in the day. And that's what everyone was using. Even if it was a party drug, it still takes two to tango. And what I mean by that is you have to have consent from the other party to use said party drugs. But the story is, and the story according to multiple women, is the fact that they were not given consent to use this drug or to have this drug put in their drinks. He did it when their backs were turned or when they weren't in the room and had his way with them after the fact. That's not any kind of party that any man or woman wants to be a part of. So please miss me with that. And then, of course, there are the black conspiracy theorists who piss me off the most out of more than any other group of black people. The black conspiracy theorists who believe that everything that has to do with black culture, there's always a conspiracy behind it. And everyone is saying, or not everyone, but all these black conspiracy uh, conspiracy theorists are saying how the government wanted Bill Cosby in jail because he was trying to buy NBC and the white man didn't want him to buy NBC and they wanted to prevent that from happening. Oh, really? Really? You don't say. Tell me, Mr. Black Conspiracy Theorist or Mrs. Black Conspiracy Theorist, do you have any proof of this? Well, well, look how much money... Bill Cosby has made over his career and, and how successful the Cosby show was on NBC. Don't you think that would have been enough? Listen, you are operating on conjecture. On conjecture. So unless you have any tangible proof that Bill Cosby was going to make a purchase of NBC... Get the fuck out of here with that shit, please, and thank you. But let's entertain this idea for a second, just for a second, because even if Bill Cosby wanted to buy NBC and he had the money to do it, that doesn't mean that NBC has to go through with it. Even though there is a CEO of NBC or chairman There's also a board of directors that that chairman or chairperson has to adhere to. I don't know how many board members there are, but everyone has to agree in unison of said purchase of NBC. So Cosby could have as much money to purchase NBC, two times the money, three times, four times, whatever the case may be, and can have a group of investors as well who are willing to participate in the purchase of NBC, But that doesn't mean that the current owners and shareholders have to agree to it. They can simply just say no. So I'm sorry, but that excuse or that theory about, well, he wanted to buy NBC and make it a black network. Put it this way. If he had enough money to buy NBC, then why wouldn't Cosby just start his own network? He could have easily just started his own network if he wanted to buy NBC. Literally, Puffy did the same thing with Revolt. He started his own network. Oh, my God. Bob Bob Johnson, the guy who created BET, he started his own network. Sold it, but started it nonetheless. Cosby could have done the same thing as opposed to buying a network that's already there. So I'm sorry, but all these conspiracy theories about, oh, the white man didn't want him to buy the... Fuck off. Fuck off. Stop being an apologist 
for a black for for somebody who did blasphemy. Yes, it sucks that we have to see a black man of his stature go to prison, but for the shit that he did, he deserves to be in prison. He deserves it. And a lot of people who are throwing shade at the victims and saying, oh, they're just doing it for the money and all that stuff. Well, here's the thing. When you accuse somebody of of rape or sexual assault or whatever the case may be, and they get a a guilty verdict and they get a, a short sentence and then they get out, you know, years before that sentence is carried out. Well, that's why a lot of these women don't want to come out because now their face is all in the public and now this person or people have now been released early and all of a sudden they don't feel safe anymore. And not to mention you have the scrutiny that they have to face because of people who are not believing them just because of the fact that they have some sort of a vested interest within said celebrity. This is why a lot of women don't want to come out. Now, obviously, there are the few pockets of women here and there who will lie on somebody's name. But in the case of Bill Cosby, this is not the case. You had dozens, at the very least, dozens of women coming out, even though that they knew that the statutes of limitations were well well and far expired. But they came out anyway because they knew that it was the right thing to do and that they would get some closure. So all these people making excuses for Bill Cosby, white, black, I don't care who you are, where you're from. You're a piece of shit. There are even some women who are making excuses for Bill Cosby. Women, women. Some women I actually had a conversation with about this a few years ago. Who are making excuses for him. And quite frankly, I find them to be a piece of shit as well. Some of these women fancy themselves as feminists as well, ironically enough. Or they fight for women's rights. And even some of them said that these women are lying. Bill Cosby's innocent. Really? Who's a victim blamer now? Ain't that some shit. So Bill Cosby's out right now. Um, Felicia Rashad put out a tweet saying how happy she is that Bill Cosby got released from prison. Um, I'm not going to speak too much on Felicia Rashad. I'm not going to speak too heavily on her. Um, all I can say is that everyone's entitled to their opinion as far as how they feel about the person and the situation behind it. Um, I, what I would say, however, you know, for the people who are already out there trying to cancel her, don't cancel her because she's not the one who did wrong. It was Bill Cosby who did wrong. So divert your energy from her onto Cosby. That's all I'll say about that. But nonetheless, Cosby is now a free individual. And it just goes to show you how flawed the justice system is. And that's not changing anytime soon. So it is what it is. I do feel for the victims of his assaults over the years. And I do commend them for coming out when they did. But at least now we know the truth of of Cosby. It sucks that he's out. He should be paying more time in jail. But again, a flawed justice system is what we're dealing with and what we'll always be dealing with going forward which is the unfortunate truth of the situation. But regardless, let me know what you guys think about the situation, what thoughts you have on this case. Uh, you already know, hit up my socials, and yeah, let's talk about it. Next topic that we got to get to is, I think this one's been around for the past week now, but I thought it was interesting to talk about because this is something that I've low-key kind of wanted to talk about for a bit, but now that it's back in the news again, um, yeah, I think it's time to have a discussion about this. 
a lot of black TikTokers are, you know, kind of joining forces together and not doing any renditions of Meg Thee Stallion's new single Thought Thought Bitch. Or is it, is it Thought Bitch? Yeah, I think it's called Thought... No, Thought Shit. I think it's called Thought Shit. Anyways, a lot of people are banding together to not dance to it. Not because that they have some sort of contempt towards Megan Thee Stallion, but mainly because of the fact that black TikTokers don't get enough... Uh, not I wouldn't say attention, but they don't get as much credit as white TikTokers when it comes to performing a popular dance from a from a rapper. And this is something that's been happening for the last couple of years now, and not even just with TikTok, but with social media in general. Um, and I've I've actually seen stories of this, and I believe it. Now I remember what was it like a couple of years ago when the kid who was popular for doing the flossing dance. Uh, made an appearance on Ellen DeGeneres doing the flossing dance. And a lot of these dances come from hip-hop, and hip-hop comes from black people, of course. And there's a lot of, whether it's the rappers themselves or dance choreographers, whatever the case may be, a lot of them are of African-American descent, and a lot of them are the originators of said dances. The issue is a lot of you know TikTokers who aren't black, they pick up these dances and they do it on their page, they may have a larger influence or following, whatever the case may be, and they get credited as the ones who created the dance, or they're the most popular ones performing the dance. And when I say credited, I'm not talking about they have a copyright to it or anything like that, but they're the ones who get their name in the limelight, and they have the most clicks and views, and they get invited onto mainstream platforms like Ellen or wherever, and they're the ones who are seen as the kings or queens of those dances and what have you, when really it should be going to the black TikTokers or whatever black influencers that you have on social media who are the ones who did the dance in the first place. Now, you could point out to the fact that some of these black TikTokers don't have as large of a following as these white ones, but... The major issue, which is now coming to come to light, is the fact that the PR and management teams of these of these rappers, whether it's Meg Thee Stallion or whomever, they're actually reaching out to the white TikTokers and they are paying them way more than the black ones because they know that with the white ones, they're going to get more attention because whenever you see a white person doing a black dance, it's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. They're doing a black dance. Oh, my gosh. They got so much flavor. Oh, my gosh. We were inviting them to the cookout. That's going to get more mainstream attention, which means more play for their artists in question. Whereas with the black TikTokers, it's most likely just going to circle around the black community and that's it. But not only that, but they pay them distinctively less than the white TikTokers and then they supplement the rest of whatever money that they're leaving on the table for things like merchandise, like free tickets and free sweaters and hoodies with, with uh, the artist name slapped all over it and stuff like that, which really just comes out as free promotion for said artists. So a lot of black TikTokers are now being put on game about this and they're saying, no, we're, 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 we've had enough. Enough is enough already. Give us our just due. And so what they're doing now is they're banding together and they are no longer going to be, accepting any offers from any you know PR management teams of said artists or from record labels to say that they're going to do a dance for the song of said artists because they know that they're only going to get paid half of what the white TikTokers are being paid and they're not going to get nearly as much as attention for it either. Some of them don't even get paid in money. They just get paid in merch. That's it. Where others are actually getting paid in money. 
So I don't blame them for one bit. Because at the end of the day, if you, especially if you are the originator of that dance, you should be getting your attention for it. Now, I know some people are kind of going off the rail and saying, well, you know, a dance move should be copywritten or, or, um, or something to that extent. But the reality is a dance move or any bodily movement can't really be copywritten. I mean, think about it. If that's the case, then the moonwalk from Michael Jackson would have been copywritten by him or by his estate. And anyone caught doing the moonwalk would have to pay a fine of some sort. Um, James, uh, sorry, uh, James Brown and his patented shuffle would have been copywritten. Michael Jordan's free throw line, uh, dunk from the free throw line would have been copywritten. It's copywritten as an image now, as an image, as a logo for his brand. Yeah, you can do that. But as an actual movement, no, you can't copyright a movement, like an actual bodily movement. You can't do it. Like, I remember there was a case around two years ago where the guy who allegedly created the Millie Rock wanted to sue the creators of Fortnite because the dance was featured in Fortnite. And there's a lot of dances featured in Fortnite as well. And a lot of people identify those dances from being from Fortnite. Now, I do agree that there should be credit given to the people who originated those dances. But as far as a copyright goes, that I can't go that far because you can't copyright a dance. It's just that simple. And I'll even go as far as to say that the the Millie Rock is not an, not even an Afri- African-American dance move in its originality. It's actually mimicked that of Nigerian dance moves before. Like, I don't know the exact name of that Nigerian dance move in, cres- in question, but I've seen Nigerians pull off that dance before. And I've seen the Millie Rock. I'm like, okay, there's something happening here. I think the Millie Rock, if anything, was inspired by the, the that whatever Nigerian dance move it was. So even if you were to say, oh, I made this up, you may have to talk to the Niger people about that because that kind of looks like their dance. And so this is what I'm talking about. Like there's there's levels to it. Like there's inklings and innovations that have gone on through, through the dawn of time that you can't just slap on, slap a copyright onto when it comes to those things. But going back to the main topic of conversation, if we are talking about, you know, giving credit to where credit is due. Then yes, absolutely. Black TikTokers should be given that credit. They should be the ones being invited on Ellen, on Jimmy Fallon, on any other late night program and, and have a segment dedicated to them if that's the case. They should be given that mainstream platform as opposed to the white guy who has a bit of flavor in him. You know, so give these TikTokers their due. Uh, give them their praise. Give them the same amount of money that you would give these white TikTokers. And just be fair about it. That's it. That's all they're asking for. Just be fair. And I have no issue with that whatsoever. But do you let me know? And final topic on Trip Talk comes by the way of Black Panther 2. Black Panther 2, as of this week, has officially started production. And the production is being held in Atlanta, uh, same location as or same prime location uh, as the first Black Panther film. Uh, That movie was shot in a whole bunch of different locations as well. It was shot in Korea. It was also shot in London. um, But it was primarily shot in in, uh, Atlanta. So Wakanda was Atlanta, basically. Long story short. So I'm not going to spend too much time on this because I feel like I've kind of talked about Black Panther 2 in the last couple episodes ad nauseum a bit. Um, But, you know, how I'm feeling about Black Panther 2. I mean, cool, they're going to production. The show must go on, um, which I can respect and appreciate. But it's still bittersweet knowing, for now at least, or, um, until Kevin Feige makes a breaking news announcement that 
we're not going to see T'Challa. And I just can't picture a movie like Black Panther without T'Challa in it, especially if we're going to be including Namor the Submariner as the main villain who has a huge rivalry with T'Challa specifically. It's like, how do you include arguably his biggest villain or adversary and not have T'Challa in it? To me, it sounds very bonkers. It sounds very, very bonkers to me. Like you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have a Spider-Man movie without Venom. You wouldn't have a Batman movie without Joker. Or sorry, let me put that in reverse. Actually, you wouldn't have a Spider-Man movie without Peter Parker that involved the that involved Venom as his main villain. You wouldn't have a Batman film with the Joker in it that didn't involve Bruce Wayne. And you wouldn't have a Superman movie that had Lex Luthor in the main as the main villain without Clark Kent, aka Cal L. You just wouldn't do it. So why are we doing it with this film? And it's and again, I have there's no trailer, obviously, because nothing has started shooting yet. And the film isn't out, of course. So I don't know what they're going to do with it. But it's very bittersweet to me. And my anticipation level for this movie is nowhere near as high as it was four years ago when I saw the, the teaser trailer for the first time. I was through the roof when that trailer came out. I lost my shit. Mind you, I already knew the movie was coming, but to see the, the visuals come out in full display, I was like, yo, put this in my veins like Pfizer, baby. Give me that shit. But now, I, I don't know. Like all, all I have right now in my mind is skepticism because I don't know what this is going to become. I have no idea what they're going to turn this into. I just find it weird that we're getting a movie that centers around a main character and that main character is not even in the film. So how how are they going to go about explaining T'Challa's absence? Are they actually going to kill him off? Are they going to say that he got sucked into somewhere in the multiverse? What are they going to do? It just seems really weird. And I'm not going to go on my tirade about, you know, you should recast the child because you guys have already heard my point, my points about that. I'm not going to bore you with that again. If somebody wants to have a conversation with me about that, I'm, I'm more than all yours. But all I'll say is this. This all better be a ruse, a red herring of sorts, just for us to see that T'Challa will, in fact, be in this movie because I it just doesn't make any sense to me. This is not what Chadwick Boseman wanted. This is not how you respect and honor his legacy by killing the character that he literally went through hell to portray and perform for the masses. This guy had cancer during the entire time that he was cast as T'Challa. And as your way of honoring him is to not recast the character? No. If anything, he wants this this character to live on because that's how iconic characters live on if we're talking about comic books and stuff like that that's how they live on through the decades clark kent bruce wayne peter parker the joker wolverine so on and so forth these are how these characters live on Especially if we're talking about the mainstream. Somebody may have never opened up a comic book a day in their lives, but they can tell you that they at least know who Bruce Wayne is. 
the same thing needs to happen for T'Challa. We are actually, we actually have the opportunity for that to happen to T'Challa. Because name me another lead black superhero who was on the verge of iconism as T'Challa. Wasn't with Blade. And I love Blade, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't with Blade, especially with him being more of an R-rated character. It wasn't with Spawn either. Most people don't even know that Spawn's black, but Spawn is mostly like an undead super being who is very demonic, and that may not fly well with children, so no. Any other black character that you've seen on film, outside of those three that I just mentioned, have not had their own film. They've either been sidekicks or they've been part of a larger ensemble of characters and sometimes get lost in the shuffle as a result of that. Marvel Studios actually has the opportunity to create the next iconic superhero character. And they're they're letting it fall by the wayside. Whether it's because of cancel culture or it's a bunch of white people who just... And I'm talking about the white people in the studios who don't want to see this black superhero overtake the likes of Peter Parker or Steve Rogers. They're just letting it fall by the wayside. And for me, as somebody who's been entrenched in this type of culture for as long as I can remember, and the fact that I'm finally getting a black or that I finally got a black superhero and now you're taking away from me, it's bullshit. And then they're gonna people. They're gonna be the people who say, "Oh well, Shuri was Black Panther too." Yeah, I know that. Yeah, thanks, Genius. I know. I knew that a long time ago, way before you did. Thank you, Genius. But guess what? Shuri and T'Challa were both Black Panther as well, and she never would have been Black Panther if it weren't for T'Challa. People don't even realize that Shuri, as a character, hasn't even been around for twenty years. She's only been around since '05. T'Challa is the most iconic character to ever wear the black panther mantle and so if you stop his story right here then we're gonna have to start all over again with another character and and i'm sorry but i'm not trying to wait another 10 15 years for another black character to be put on to be put on the pedestal and and more importantly i'm not waiting for these quote-unquote diverse or overly woke studio execs to just create a mashup diverse character all in one so that they can service all 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 marginalized and or ethnic groups. I'm not doing that. That's bullshit because I already know at that point that it's going to be contrived and manipulated. Whereas with T'Challa, you had something organic happening. You had something organic happening. This could have cascaded into launching another lead black superhero and another lead black superhero. Whether it's a female black superhero, a gay male black superhero, whomever, light-skinned black, whoever. We could have seen a large litany of lead black superheroes all at once. And it started with T'Challa. But if you end his story right here, then you risk of having to start from square one with another character or you risk the fact that black characters are just going back to sidekicks all over again. And that's what's going to happen if you don't recast this person. It's not disrespectful to recast the role. It's actually very respectful because it shows that you acknowledge the hard work and effort that Chadwick put into into that role. You saw his vision and you want to make sure that his vision gets carried on forever and ever or as long as it takes. 
Because if we're going to use the the logic, quote unquote, of not continuing on uh, the the T'Challa storyline because because uh, Chadwick Boseman has has passed on, then let's use that same logic and say that Marvel Cinematic Universe should no longer exist or anything Marvel related because Stanley is now dead. Because Stanley and Jack Kirby have now passed on. Let us not continue any of these Marvel movies. Why? Because we're honoring the legacy of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Do you see how ridiculous that sounds? Do you, see, do you hear it? Let's stop making these movies because the two people who created these characters and the intellectual properties behind them have now passed on. But no, Daniel, you can't do that. If anything, we're honoring the legacy by by having it live on. Exactly. And you're doing the same thing if you recast the role of T'Challa. Because by doing that, you are letting the legacy live on. Do you see how flawed logic can be when you're not thinking straight or when you're not applying it properly? Anyways, I can go on for days about this. I'm going to leave it at that. And you guys let me know what you think about that. But are you excited for Black Panther 2? First and foremost, either way, let me know. And now for the final topic of this episode. You guys already know what it is. Who has entered the shallow walls of the Hall of Shame this week? Who has entered... Or who, rather, has been crowned the captain of Coonery this week? Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Wankster of the Week. And this week's Wankster of the Week goes to NBA player Patrick Beverly, aka Crack Trick Beverly, aka Fuckboy Beverly. Now, the reason why he's getting the Wankster of the Week is because him and the Clippers took a massive L against the Phoenix Suns this past week in the Western Conference Finals that led to their elimination from the NBA playoffs. Now, I'm not giving them the Wankster because they lost. I'm giving him the Wankster because of how he chose to express his frustration in said loss. Now, Patrick Beverly is a guy who talks a big game. And all he's really good for is defense. He can't do anything else. He's not a good floor general. He's not a good playmaker for others. Not the greatest shooter. Doesn't really take it to the hole as much. And does a whole lot of nothing but play what he would call defense. Patrick Beverly is basically that guy that you run into the YMCA. And you just need a fifth person on your team just for the sake of having a full 5-on-5 run. And you go to him of all people because there's no one else left. That is Patrick Beverly in a nutshell. So what he did to Chris Paul, who was, by the way, one of the greatest point guards of all time, is as Chris Paul was walking to his bench, he allegedly said something to Pat Beverly as he was walking away. And Pat Beverly took exception to that. And so what he did was as Paul's back was turned to him, He gave him a very aggressive push, and that basically led him to knock his ass on the ground. 
Now, here's the thing about Patrick Beverly. Apart from him being a very shit basketball player and someone who overly compensates on defense because of the fact that he's a very shit basketball player, is that he talks a lot of garbage. He's the first person to talk a lot of trash to opposing teammates. And I always have something against players who aren't that good or are not or are nowhere near all-star territory who talk trash. And I don't respect it because they have nothing to talk trash about. They are one misdemeanor away from a waived contract and therefore should be counting their blessings as they come fit. But no, this guy's out here barking his jaw and, and people seem to love it. And I'm not just talking about people who, that he plays on the same team with. I'm talking about just everyday NBA fans. And a lot of these people just love it because of the fact that he's from Chicago and that he used to be in a gang and he's got street cred and all this bullshit. Listen, I don't give a fuck how much street cred you got. If you're shitty at basketball, you're shitty at basketball and I'm calling you out for it. And Patrick Beverly is shitty at basketball. And the thing I hate about this guy and that whole ordeal is the fact that he, he spends all this time talking so much trash to the opposing team and yet, when somebody tr talks trash to him, that's when he wants to take it personally? Nigga, fuck you. Fuck you. You overrated, skinny, crackhead, heroin, junkie sack of shit. Fuck you. You are a terrible basketball player, and more importantly, a terrible human being, and a piece of shit person at that. And for you, you are getting the wankster of the week. And on that note, we're going to close it off, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank you all for tuning in, as you always do. Make sure you check us on multiple uh, platforms, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, you name it. We're, we're, we're out there. We're out there. And yeah, like I've been saying for the last couple of weeks, we will get guests during the summer. I promise you that. So keep in lock for that. Other than that, I'm out of here. Um, enjoy yourselves. Enjoy this pod and enjoy your, the rest of your day. And as you already know, Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment reminding you each and every day that we are here creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace.